The Athletic. Bowen. And Diop. And West Ham are back in the game. And he's made up for his mistake. Kevin Friend has had a look. And it is given as a penalty. This is one big kick. It is Jesse Lingard. It is 2-2. Another major contribution to the cause. It's West Ham's turn for a comeback now. Hello and welcome to You Are the West Ham podcast from the good people at The Athletic with me, Sam Delaney, and The Athletic's West Ham correspondent, Rashane Thomas. Hello, Rashane. Morning, Sam. Uh, how you doing, mate? That's a good question. That is it's a really good question. Cr- it's yeah. a busy week for a top football journalist like yourself, oh, mate. No, Your no, mind no. must be spinning. Definitely spinning with this whole Super League stuff, pal. That's for sure. I'm still struggling to fathom how, like, these owners have sort of come up with this concept of a Super League. Because obviously, you're 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 uh, going to detail about your thoughts on it. My thoughts on it, it's an absolute disgrace. It's a betrayal to the fans, the English game. It kills the way they hope, especially the English club. They don't want it to be like a, another Leicester winning the league, for example. Mm. They don't want it to be like a club like West Ham to upset the big six and, and qualify in the top four. They don't want like. For example, a newly appointed club like Ipswich back in the day to come along and qualify in Europe. They want to kill all of that with this whole European Super League. And the biggest thing for me is this kills away the hope. The moment a hope dies for a fan base, the moment the club dies. Hope yeah. goes a long way in life. And that's for any walk of life, whether it's football, your normal job, anything. And the biggest frustration with this Super League thing is trying to kill away the hope. And that for me is the biggest frustration. We touched on it earlier, well, before we recorded, in fact, that these Spanish clubs in so much debt in so much debt, there's like they'll say, English clubs, come along, help us out, help us out here. Let's let's form this Super League, let's do a breakaway tournament where you can't even get relegated, Sam. You can't even get yeah. relegated. How does that even make sense? Yeah. How is that competitive? So yeah, the whole thing's absolute fast and shambles and it should happen. It stinks, doesn't it? And it is that American ideal of no relegation. We're, and we're only one step away from them outlawing draws as well. Because there's, there's two things about American sport, and obviously there's big... American sport billionaires involved in this plan. One is, is that they have that sort of closed shop without relegation. And the other thing is that it's just about, you know, it's it's treated like an entertainment industry like any other, you know. So how can we maximise the entertainment value, right, in, in quite a superficial way? It's like covering everything you eat with fucking sugar and treacle, right? It's quite nice for the first fucking you know when you have breakfast but then when it's all you've eaten all day is sugar and treacle you start to feel sick and you know don't like it anymore and it's tedious and actually it's the light and shade of football which makes it the best sport in the world it's the fact that some teams will dominate but you know going into any game that there's always a chance that they will slip up or be outdone on the day by a supposedly smaller club Right. It's the highs and the lows and the unexpectedness, the unpredictability of sport and the constant David and Goliath narratives that run through it that has made it the most popular sport in the history of mankind. Right. And they're removing a lot of that. And that's being driven by money. And I'm not joking when I say that that American mentality being applied to our game. You know, someone tweeted yesterday, this was the day that football ended and and, it, and soccer began, 
right? So it's become soccer now. And I thought, yeah, I thought that was pretty poignant because I thought, yeah, that's what it's the Americanization of this sport because too much American money and business mentality has infiltrated our sport. And they, for years, have laughed not only at the notion of relegation because they think that that can, you know, make, makes it, uh, no business sense whatsoever. And they just only think of it in terms of business. But also they've laughed at the idea of draws, haven't they? Remember, they think draws are hilarious, right? Ties, as they call them. I'm not joking. You know, if this goes ahead in a few years' time, that Super League, if it exists, they'll start doing stuff like that. And you'll be getting an extra goal for scoring from outside the area as well, like a three-pointer in basketball, right? Where does it end? The, the thing is, is that it doesn't matter. These teams, you know, like football is unsustainable in its current form, right? Particularly for these Spanish clubs. The Premier League does all right because it's the most popular league in the world. And because of the collective way in which they sell the television rights and share the money about, you know, that for me is a, is a, it's not a perfect, but it's a decent model. And it's why English football's done all right. Okay. Spanish football, Real Madrid and Barcelona have this presidential elected system, right? So the fans will have a say, which on the surface seems great. But the flaw in it is that the guy who tends to win the presidential election for Real Madrid, Real Madrid is simply always the guy who's promising to spend the most money on players, right? And so the amount of debt that clubs take on to keep feeding this monster, right, of, of a football fan base who kind of just always want superstar signings, right? The whole idea that was established 20, 25 years ago with the Galacticos, you know, this idea and, and kids grow up with the idea as well from playing football manager and FIFA that, you know, you've got to assemble a sort of an Avengers sort of mentality. You've got to have a football in Avengers with all the best players in all the best positions, right? It's ridiculous. It's unsustainable. It means that clubs keep spending more money than they have. And that is unsustainable. But when you realise that's unsustainable, you've got two choices. You can either say, well, let's change things. Let's change this model. Let's abandon this model and go back to a more sustainable one where we live within our means. Because football used to be run like that. And it was perfectly entertaining. You could even argue more entertaining then. There weren't clubs at the top who were dominating everything through their you know, financial might. You know, there were giant killings and just more of a sort of a democratic mix of football in power existed. And that is why when I was growing up in the 80s, it was thrilling when you'd see, you know, teams like Forest or Villa prevail in, in, uh, in the league and then in Europe. Or, you know, teams like West Ham or Southampton or Ipswich would be competing for the league title until the final weeks, you know. Cup finals with Coventry beating Tottenham or Wimbledon beating Liverpool. The whole country would stop like it was bloody Christmas Day to watch these matches. No one knows what the FA Cup final is now because no one cares because it's probably going to be Man City versus bloody Arsenal. It's going to be a tedious match. The, the players couldn't care less about it. They've got no idea of the cultural significance of it. And no one cares about that, right? No one cares about any of that stuff. So it's stupid. <laughs> no, for sure. no, for sure, you're spot on. And just touching on that, that that's the art of the Champions League. When the big clubs like a, a Real Madrid and Liverpool, for example, the other day, once once every so often, you look mm. forward to it because it doesn't happen every week. And yeah. that's where 
they don't understand that like, this whole concept of the European Super League, it will devalue it. Like, who wants to watch that every... Like, for example, look at it, like, the match on Sunday, Fulham against Arsenal. Like, Fulham like they're going to win, and then Arsenal Nines got a job. But that was exciting because you thought, come on, yeah. Fulham, get a result. And I, I find it so laughable that Fulham... Sorry, not Fulham, that like, Arsenal and Tottenham have found their way in this in this, uh, in this the Super League. Like, yeah. have, <laughs> have they seen where they are on the table? Have European pedigree? Yeah, I disagree with that completely. But you know what, sir? But it's about brand, isn't it? It's about brand. You look yeah, at it still. and everyone's laughing at them. And again, I think it's really important that all of us as football fans, and it's hard for me to do this because I'm very partisan and I love getting stuck into rival clubs. But it's really important to always be referring to the owners of these clubs and not the clubs themselves. Because take any of them. Arsenal Football Club is a great club, great history, you know, the fat the and and the fans are at the heart of it and they've had no say in this right and of course it is laughable in their current state that they're going to get invited there but again if you look at it from the perspective of the 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 people who are putting this league together they want the teams who have the highest global profile right now but that's the other thing it shows that they misunderstand football because they they think who's got the highest global profile right now at this moment in time right because 10 years ago, Tottenham wouldn't have been considered at all, or City, right? Or, or um, 15, 20 years ago, Chelsea either. Man U, Arsenal and Liverpool really are the three perennially big three clubs in this country, right? Others come and go. When I was a kid, it was Everton. In the 90s, it was Newcastle, right? So it all changes and fluctuates all the time. But they're going to invite two teams who now, they probably based it on global shirt sales. They probably based it on who sells the most bloody shirts in China or something like that, you know? Yeah. But look, Arsenal, right? Never won the Champions League. <laughs> Man City, never won the Champions League. Tottenham Hotspur, they've never won the Champions League. You might as well write Nottingham Forest or, or Aston Villa. If, yeah. if, if, or what if, about Celtic? Yeah. What about or, Celtic? Yeah. Or Celtic or Ajax. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I was just touching earlier, but just regarding the owners. I'm more disappointed in uh, Man City and Liverpool owners. We can mm. think of those areas, working class areas where... You know, really devalue the community. Strong traditions, you know, club like a West Ham or Everton or Southampton, they aspire to be like that one day in the future. And the way they've acted mm. over the past, what, well, well, since Monday, it's been absolutely shameful. I thought Gary Nova was spot on in terms of saying, listen, they, they should be out of their clubs. I, I loved what I saw before the match between Leeds and Liverpool yesterday where fans are like, mm. oh, it's absolutely terrible. Because it's right. We should go to these areas, you think of, you know, world one clubs, but that's anything far from that over the past, what, 48 hours. Yeah, and I think that that's the thing. As I I think about it, I don't know how it's going to unfold. I've got no idea. Some people are saying, oh, it's only a leverage tool. It's a negotiation tool, UEFA. Other people are saying, no, it's gone much further than that. They've signed deals. This is not a bluff, you know. I don't know what will happen. But what I do know is that everyone has reacted over the last 24 hours or 48 hours. Fans, we've all reacted with confusion and anger. Right. And there's lots of different ways that's being fired about. So on social media, you're seeing a lot of people focus on having a pop at Arsenal and Tottenham for the temerity of them being involved in it. Yeah. And then there's a bit of banter or it can get nasty amongst the fans as well. But actually, it is important for us as fans to all show solidarity. Do you know what I mean? In a way, in, in, in what's happening now, what this is, is interlopers. I think Gary Neville called them imposters, right? Interlopers from outside of our sport, people who have no interest in sport. Like, what's his name? Henry at Liverpool. He's got no interest. Someone was saying he doesn't even follow 
I was listening to a radio last night. Someone said he doesn't even he doesn't even follow Liverpool on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> right? These people they buy it as entities, like they buy any business, right? That's that's their what they do. But what they don't understand is, I you know I've got no, I'm not one of these people who say I hate all businessmen, right? I do understand that when you're in business, your sole objective a lot of the time is to maximise you know, the amount of money that you and your shareholders draw from a business. And in that sense, there is, you know, some rational thought behind joining a closed shop like this, right? But it shows a fundamental misunderstanding of what makes football appealing, right? Which is the jeopardy and the unpredictability, right? Um, But I think that, you know, these people, they don't understand either, more importantly, as you just touched upon, the cultural and social significance of football. And that is why really the point at which it started becoming too much of a business, which isn't now, it's right back, going back to the beginning of the Premier League. Don't, you know, make no mistake, these games will start like gridiron. These games will start being played all over the world. They've been trying to get that started for ages and it will definitely happen with this. Manchester United, Liverpool will be played in like Bangkok or Singapore or Miami, you know, or Sydney, Australia. It, they, they will it, so twenty thousand Liverpool fans who live in the Anfield area, right, and have been going there with since their dads or their granddads home, don't want to go. You know what? John Henry's laughing. He's saying, "Do you think that's relevant? Because we're going to be at a big fucking stadium in Kuala Lumpur, and it's going to have one hundred and fifty thousand kids in it, all paying like fifty quid a pop, mate." So I don't care about you. We're basically a franchise, like an American franchise, like the Raiders who went from LA to Oakland to Las Vegas. Same thing. Yeah. You know, but you know it's, not just, it's not just that, but also if you're a player, right, potentially you could be banned from playing in the World Cup or, or, or a European Championship. That's yeah. what you're just supposed to come out and said. So let us say, right, you're Andy Robertson from Liverpool or Scott McTominay from Man United or uh, Carantini from Arsenal. And you help Scotland qualify for a European Championship the first yeah. time for a major tournament for quite some time, and you're being told play in this tournament and you can't, you can't, you can't help uh, Scotland for the summer in the European Championships. Surely, mm. as a player, you must think no way can ever happened. No way. Yeah. And that's why it's so important right now for a player. Yeah, I know you have contractual agreements, sponsorship agreements. Forget all of that. It's not important right now. You got you got to use your platform to say this is wrong and here's why it's wrong and here's why I won't be involved. That's what I thought yeah. yesterday. It was really good. We saw Jay's Mono use his platform with Sky last night and say disagrees with it. Not up for it at all. Jurgen Klopp saying disagrees with it. Uh, maintaining his stance from 2019. And he also said, I don't agree with the European Super League. If you're a player right now, use your platform. Don't be quiet. Now, this could be a massive moment in football. We, call, we could look back. Let's say this happened, right? We could look back and say the, Euro, the players, the United has won. And we stop this from happening. We all know Twitter can be very toxic. I cannot recall the last time everyone was so unified on, on one topic and said, this kind of happened. I can't remember the last time that happened, that happened Sam. can't yeah. remember the last time everyone, university, con- condemned something like this. So another thing, with the owners, right? We don't hear from them. We don't hear from a Joe Glazer or, or Stan Kroenke. There's a reason why they call him Silent Stan. We don't hear from these people. Yeah. So we can put out pieces, but we know for a fact, you didn't write it. There's no way you wrote about press release. You can sign your name off at the end, but you didn't press a single button on a laptop to write about press release. Mm. So that's another reason why people are getting annoyed. And then you get good people like good managers coming out and having to be thrown in a bus into the media, having to ask questions like they weren't even consulted out beforehand. The whole thing is absolutely wrong. It's been handled wrong. And I hope it doesn't happen.
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hello listeners, sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favour to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits, and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. One last thing, talking about our owners, is that I've uh, uh, been, you know, pretty uh, pretty clear on my views on our owners. And, and even, you know, I've recently been asked when I've been doing stuff on Five Live and whatnot about, oh, do you like the... Everyone's trying to wind West Ham fans up saying, oh, you don't care about the owners anymore, do you? Now you're doing well. And it's a real wind-up because you go, yeah, I think these are bad owners. They've run the club badly. They've created a bad image around the club. They have made numerous mistakes and they've acted with incompetence, right? What's happening at the moment with the team is down to David Moyes. But let's not forget that David Moyes, they bloody sacked him even when he kept us up. And he only came back again by default because literally they had created such a toxic atmosphere around the club that he was the only guy they could get. So they can't even take credit for David Moyes. Right. We are doing well this season in spite of our owners. So the owners aren't off the hook. Right. And it's almost like some fans or people in the media are saying we're not allowed to be happy about the team because we've been slagging off the owners. It's like there are two distinct things. So that I've got that out of my chest. But with regards to Super League, I'm still Gold, Sullivan and Brady out. However, however, I would say when you look at what what our friends at Chelsea and City and United and all the other clubs are going for at the moment. I think, well, bloody hell, at least we've got club owners who are there inside the club, visible, talk, probably talk too much. They're the opposite of silent Stan, right? And in the case of Sullivan and Gold, as much as they go on about it and it's annoying, our fans, they are football fans and they are fans, passionate fans of West Ham. Now, they don't get it right. And I would like to see someone else run this club with more competence. But it's shifted my view these last 48 hours a lot because although I think there's plenty of people who could do a better job, what I now think is, well, I would sooner keep these three than get some sort of sovereign state or huge business conglomerate or hedge fund, you know, some sort of faceless shadowy figure who sees it as a money-making machine I'd, uh, to be honest, I would take Sullivan and Gold over that. And I, I, I don't know if I would have said that a few days ago because I was a bit like, oh, anyone would be better. And who wouldn't want, you know, a big American sports um, conglomerate to take us over and give us hundreds of millions of pounds? Now, I think, no, actually. And that's that's a, that's quite a shift of position. Being. Those, those last 48 hours have taught me it. Because you're hearing City fans on Twitter saying, we're switching to West Ham. Switching too much time. <laughs> Liverpool and City fans have been saying it, and these are amazing fans. Liverpool and City fans, yeah. you know, City fans and West Ham fans, they relate. We relate to each other a lot because there is a sort of affiliation between them traditionally. For sure, and th- these are proper fans, and they're like, we're run by these like 
these nobodies, man. And we don't want to be part of that anymore. And I, my heart breaks for all of those fans. And you know what, right? I know Arnes can be very vocal when it comes to the media, but quite often whenever they come out to the media, they're very accurate in terms of how they feel. They're not going to be like, uh, you know, a Henry or or or, or, or Glazer or, or Kroenke and, and, and just sort of give media trade answers. If it's a Sullivan, yeah. you know he's going to do it from the heart. It, it, yeah, yeah. It, it will piss us off, but at least yeah. it's from the heart nonetheless. Exactly. It'll be yeah. wrong or yeah. rude or obnoxious or misplaced, <laughs> yeah. but he's not bullshitting us like yeah. some mealy mouth politician. Exactly. It's, it's from the heart. Like, for example, when he had an interview with TalkSpot, it's like he's feeling depressed because we haven't signed a striker. Yeah, we're all, we're all depressed, but you know what? Good on you for being honest. But you know what, Sam? I actually I, I disagree with you slightly with the earlier point by the owners because last week, right, I got criticised for it. I, my, I put my hands out, I got criticised for it, but I actually wrote a piece sort of in defence of the owners in the fact that they're learning from their mistakes because this season, right, on the team's doing great. I can't think of one controversy with Carrie Brady's column. I can't think of what um, Sullivan again with with, with uh, interview with Talksport. Yeah, it's annoying, but he's honest. He's honest. He's saying there's no regrets over saying Grady Agana. I think we we can all agree with that now. No regrets. Well, to be fair, that was the point at which people got angriest. Yeah. And to be fair, that decision has been vindicated. Yeah. You can't I'm argue sure. that anymore. You know. Can't argue with that. We did it. We didn't sign James Tarkovsky for forty million. Good, good defender, but forty million again. No, that's they, they've been they've been vindicated. But I, right. I might be wrong about this, but I give all the credit for all of the things you're talking about to David Moyes. That's oh, how starry-eyed I am about David Moyes. Uh, I, I think I, that I well. David Moyes told Sullivan, "Don't buy that <laughs> defender; it's too expensive." They had to beg him to come back because they humiliated him the first time around. And I reckon he used that as leverage. He said, "All right, I'll come back, and I know you're not going to pay me full whack." But there's got to be some ground rules, and here they are, right? And uh, they stuck it. But I don't know. That's just that's my. I've got yeah. no way of knowing whether or not that's yeah. true. I'm just choosing to believe that. No, but if that if that is the case, and it's good to see them learning a little bit. And as you touched on, I'd rather have Evan Charles and American owners whose heart's not in the club. Yeah, they're looking for one quick buck. Like I'd rather. I know that. Listen, I know they're annoying. They come out and say some bad stuff sometimes, but I'd rather that be the case than having some American. Well, today, today as we sit here, looking what is being, what's happening to these other clubs, run by you know the complete opposite, for the first time probably ever since those guys have been in charge of my club, a little bit of me feels lucky, because suddenly I feel like we, you know, for the last ten years and and the move to the London Stadium especially has made me feel that we lost that kind of the family spirit of the club. And I just sort of thought that we'd lost a lot of that in various ways. We were no longer a club that people had much affection for. Um, and we were playing in this horrendous stadium and the they were, and these, these, all, these, these owners just seemed like spivs and all the rest of it. But today I sort of think, ah, actually, I feel like in comparison to these other clubs who are basically throwing themselves at the mercy of money and becoming like basically deciding to become like, um, you know, American sporting franchises. We're a club that's run by a couple of Cockney blokes, right? Yeah. Made good. One of whom grew up in Green Street, right? And Karen Brady, who I think is a great shining example to, to young women everywhere who worked her way up to the top of big business. Yeah. We know who they are. They're very visible. They make themselves accountable, really. And I'm still, I would still rather the club was run by people better than them. But I do not think any of these big monies are better than them. 
Sam, I have a question. This morning, right, I see the few DMs from people saying, listen, if West Ham had been offered a chance to be part of the Super League, the board would be all over it. They'll be on their knees begging for a place yeah. in, in this Super League breakaway. Yeah. Do, you, do you reckon that would have been the case had, had West Ham been invited? Of course. Totally. I do. I, and although I'm sort of praising them, I think that I'm praising them and it's easy for me to do so because we haven't been invited and we're not in the league. But I think if that amount of money is dangled under their noses, I think they would have probably said yes. Yeah, I think they would have done. And I think after the year that clubs have had, you know, and the panic that we, we, we don't see it because we still see the club, the teams turning out every week, playing these games, signing players. But I think that the reality of club finances for all these clubs at the moment is pretty dire, right? Because it's been a long time without fans. And I think, you know, if you're feeling really desperate and your back's to the wall, and West Ham already was running, you know, I think, I can't remember the ins and outs of the books, but, you know, very often running at a loss, right? Because of the money that they were investing in transfers and managers. And now this. It's very hard if someone gives you a sweetener, a golden welcome of like three hundred million pounds or whatever it was, to say, "Nah, you're all right," you know. And and there's the peer pressure element as well. There's the sort of like, "Oh shit, they've offered us a place. If we don't take it, maybe Leicester or Everton will." Do you know what I mean? So I I think I can't be sure, but I think they probably would have said yes. And that's why it's easy for me to sit and go, "Oh, we got proper proper club owners who understand the." They, they probably would have taken the opportunity. How many owners can put their hand on their heart and say they wouldn't have been tempted into this, you know? Um, but it's it's disgusting and outrageous. No, for sure. I'm, I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. I'm, I'm talking to whoever they'll say yes or no. I reckon I reckon their head will say yes, but their heart will say no. Yeah, I, no, I, I agree with that. And then it'd be a matter of what would... I totally agree with that. Yeah. And then it's a matter of what would win out. And you sort of sometimes think the head wins out in those situations. But I agree with you that I think they understand football in a way that the owners of all those other clubs. I mean, Daniel Levy, I think, is a is a Spurs fan, he, you know. So maybe, maybe not him. But you look at like Abramovich, who I think probably is passionate about Chelsea and football. If not, I do think he was probably motivated by just loving football when he bought Chelsea. But he doesn't have, obviously, he doesn't have that cultural social connection to to Chelsea's fan base and and the history of the club and the role it plays in in the community and stuff. But the the Americans at Liverpool and Man U and Arsenal and and the, and the and the people who own Man City, you just sort of think they just they they wouldn't have had any. The heart just wouldn't have played a part in any of it at all. Do you know what I mean? I can't stop thinking about how amazing a league without those six teams would be. The idea that it's small time when you've got Newcastle, Leeds, West Ham, Everton and Villa competing. Those clubs are all as big as these. I mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration. I mean, United, I would say United and Liverpool are way ahead in terms of size and history of any other football club in our country. Right. And it's such a shame because those are teams you didn't buy it in the first place. These are like ordinary working class clubs who built themselves up by, but pulled themselves up by the bootstraps, literally to, to become, you know, if you look at Liverpool and what Shankly did in the sixties, you know, it was incredible. And that's why it's such a tragedy. What, what's being done to them now by the current owners. But if you rule out those two, it's a much of a muchness. If you look at history, certainly fan base stadiums, all the rest of it, 
you know, Spurs, Chelsea, come on, City, you know, Everton, just in the 80s, which seems like yesterday to me, Everton were the main club in the country, you know. In the 90s, Newcastle were the number one. I mean, they weren't, unfortunately, they didn't win the league, but they dominated that decade. They were the club that everyone wanted to watch and talk about, you know. Yeah, yeah. We got, it would be, I'm thrilled at the prospect of it. It would be a shame I'd miss those other clubs. I would like the idea that they have to get chucked out and then call back a few years later and do what Rangers have had to do in Scotland or what Juventus did in Italy, where they were they had to work their way back up in stages through the divisions. your ears by The Athletic, I'm Adam Hurry and Football Clichés is the podcast you never knew you needed. Every week, to quite unnecessary depth, we examine the words, the phrases, the accepted wisdom, the mannerisms, the habits, the gestures, the symbols, the sounds and the smells that everyone takes for granted in football, but which really are the glorious glue that holds it all together. For example, have you ever really listened to the Football League goals roundups? I mean, really listen to them? Because they all sound pretty much like this. Team X went into this game with just one win in their last 13. And when Team Y took the lead inside four minutes at Stadium Z, the home fans were probably starting to fear the worst. But Striker A had other ideas, and this game turned on its head in the space of five minutes midway through the second half. First, a smart finish from the edge of the box brought Team X level, and he repeated the trick on the hour mark to bring his tally for the season to 22. By now, Team X were in the mood, and although striker A squandered a gilt-edged chance to complete his hat-trick, on-loan Dutchman winger B made it three with a curling effort from long range. Team Y's misery was compounded in stoppage time when midfielder C's late challenge on fullback D saw them reduced to ten men. An afternoon to forget for manager E's men then, but Team X will hope they have finally turned a corner under caretaker boss manager F. Listen to Football Clichés wherever you get your podcasts and also ad-free when you subscribe to The Athletic. Let's talk a bit about West Ham. A really disappointing performance and result against Newcastle at the weekend. You have to look at it and say, in the context of the last four games, in a way it was coming because you can't keep playing like we played against Arsenal, Wolves and Leicester, you know, without eventually getting beat. And all those performances were effectively the same. I mean, yeah, we probably did play worse against Newcastle than we had done in the other games. But people forget there were so many chances for that in those other games that Arsenal probably should have beaten us. And and Wolves and Leicester both had really good chances to, to get a point against us. So it was going to happen. So what I'm saying is, Shane, is that there is something wrong. Earlier in the season, we were a clean sheet machine. We were, first and foremost, really difficult to play against. Now the opposite is true. What the hell's going on and what should David Moyes do about it? For sure. You know, after my match piece, after I pulled up my match piece for the Newcastle game, people were like, oh, I'm ashamed. Like, you're overreacting. I was like, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Ten goals conceded in the last four matches, Sam. Yeah, unacceptable. Offensively, but for whatever reason, we keep making too many defensive errors. Before that match against Newcastle, I thought Dawson was looking very shaky. Very, very mm. shaky. It's reached a point where I don't even think he's deserving of being called Virgil van Dorsen right now. I know. Not, I know. Not, 
not based on what I've seen over the past. And I know years, you so. wouldn't say that lightly either, Rashad. So that's quite a big bombshell coming from you. But I agree. I think we've got to drop it for now. Yeah, for now. There's one point in the season where we're all clamoring for him to be an English squad. Yeah. And now you can argue he doesn't have to be a start eleven. No, that's, he doesn't. That's, that's how Jatic is, is former shot. Is I think Bal- Balbuena, who will get a chance now, presumably, but he must be gutted because he didn't put a foot wrong when he was playing earlier in the season, right? I think he took a knock, was out, and then didn't get his set back in. I know it's partly to do with his contract situation and stuff, but he, we've let in all those goals. I was surprised that he hadn't made changes anyway before Newcastle. I don't think Diop has looked completely uh, convincing. I think, Diop's, I think the thing about Diop is he switches off yeah. in games. He looks brilliant one moment, but then he switches off, right? Um, Ogbonna's been a big loss. Cresswell and Ogbonna and Rice are three leaders, right? And we've been and, and they haven't played together, all three of them, in a game for a long time now. I wonder, do you think that maybe is an issue, is that we've lacked the, you know, the vocal players are your Cresswells and Ogbonna's and Declan yeah. Rice's. Is, is that an issue? That's an issue, but... Ogbonna was supposed to bring some sort of calmness to the defence against Newcastle. Mm. And we go to see three goals again. So it's mm. like, it, that proved to no avail. And you know what, right? I'm going to say Moyes got it wrong with his formation. I don't mm. think he, play, he should have played a wing, back, a wing back system in that match. I only think it works if you have Masuaki or Cresswell. If you have both, I don't think you should play that formation. Stick with a back four because Ben Johnson, I thought he had a decent match. But in my opinion, he was at fault for Willock's winner. I feel mm. like he should have defended that much better. So I feel like he should have gone to the back four. But the thing is, right, the, the squad is so threadbare right now. We lack yeah. squad depth. We get injuries all, all over the pitch. So I, I guess in fairness to David Moyes, he has to make do with what he has right now. But listen, they need to get the act together because why, why are you going to make defensive mistakes right now when we're so close? We're so close. Fair enough if you're mm. doing it in September, October, but not now when there's a lot of stake. In my piece, right, I mentioned between January and February, West Ham kept four clean sheets. Since March, it's been one clean sheet, Sam. Just yeah, one it's amazing the turnaround. So, what would you do now against Chelsea? Would you switch to a back four, or is Masuaku going to be back in time for that? Yeah, well, no more Moises Presser on a, on Friday. But if Masuaku and Cresswell are back for that match, because Cresswell only missed because he just failed a, fitness, a late fitness test for the Newcastle game. Oh, okay. So hopefully he'll be back for the um, the game against Chelsea. But if he's not, and Masuaku's still out, go to a back four. But if they're involved. Obviously, he could play with my system, but obviously, Barbarina is very likely he'll play with uh, Dawson being suspended. Mm. So that's good to see. And as you touched on, he was in good form. Now is a great chance for him to impress again and show why he never deserved to lose the place, his place in the team in the first place. So hopefully, he has a good game. And yeah, Dawson will be on the sidelines watching on because, in my opinion, he yeah, I think he should be dropped anyway. And I think you know we'll see what happens, but he might not get back in the team once his suspension's over. I think it's a, it might only be a small thing, but I think Ogbonna was playing on the left of a back three because Cresswell was out and Ogbonna's obviously left-footed. Ogbonna, for me, is better at the heart of a back three where he completely commands the whole thing. And when you're playing off sides or whatever, he's the one who commands the line because it would be the central one. He couldn't do that because he had he's the left-footer, so he had to play there. But with Dawson out and Cresswell potentially back, if we could play Cresswell on the, on the left side of a back three and put Ogbonna back into middle, I think that's when you get the best out of Ogbonna and he's able to like really organise the defence properly. And in that third space, I would say now to Balbuena because you just can't... Diop looks all right at times, but he makes mistakes. He was responsible for the first goal. Um, and I just think you've got to... You, 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 can't, you can't 
just stick with the same players. Diop's got to go. Balbuena's got to come in. And I'd be very happy indeed if we managed to start with that back three, with Balbuena, Ogbonna and Cresswell, because I think some of our best defensive performances all season came with those three. You know, my biggest frustration uh, with like Diop, I'll be like in the press box thinking, Diop, what are you doing? Play the simple pass. Come on, man. We'll get your act together and then he'll score. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know your score. That's the yeah, biggest yeah. frustration with Diop, because in that match against Newcastle, doing the same thing. Come on, like, you've got to make the pass much better. And he scores with a uh, boring providing assist. So that's the big. If he can like be a lot, a lot better in terms of his defensive par- defensive uh, decisions or making a, the better pass instead of complicating things, he'll be such a good defender, mm. the monster that Jose Mourinho said. But he's a bit sloppy yeah. at times. That's the frustration with Diop. Yeah, he ne- he needs someone to take him in hand. You know what I wish? I wish that we would hire Rio Ferdinand to just come in and coach Diop. Once a week, one-on-one. That's what I want. And Rio would do it because he loves West Ham. Get Rio in to teach him how to make the step up from being a decent Premier League defender to a very good one, you know, because he could be a player similar. He's got that same elegance, pace, composure on the ball. But like a young Rio, he sometimes takes too many touches or he overthinks things or he tries to be too clever. But when you look Rio at his peak, when he was at United, what made him at his peak was he knew when to take the ball out, but he also knew when to just hoof it into row Z, yeah. you know? And uh, You know what, Stan, uh, very quickly, I'm going to say that is an absolutely fantastic idea because yeah. we see Stuart Pairs have the impact on Cresswell and Masuaku. Seven assists for Cresswell so far this season, and we all know that Masuaku's improved massively this season. Kevin Nolan, what was he in his playing career? A nice box-to-box midfielder. We've seen yeah. that with Thomas Suchek, Suchek scoring nine yeah. goals. Get someone like a real Ferdinand in, it can only yeah. be wonders for someone like a... I reckon Rio would do it. It's one day a week. He's rich. He doesn't need that amount of money because, like, you know, just give him whatever we can afford. Get him in. And I reckon Rio Ferdinand could turn Issa Diop into a world-class defender. I reckon David Moyes would agree with that. Yeah. David, if you listen to the podcast, get Rio in. Get yeah, in. yeah. Yeah, get a specialist. So Chelsea up next. Massive game. I would say that, you know, it's a disappointment that we lost against Newcastle. I think if anything we've got, I feel slightly more confident against Chelsea because the reason we struggle against Newcastle is that we're a counter-attacking team. It's the first time in a while we've come up against a team who just wanted to sit back completely. We didn't quite know what to do with that. That's the strain that the big clubs have. That's why big clubs, that is why United got Fernandez in to replace Lingard because as much as we love Lingard, what he's not is one of those tricky players with the final threaded through ball like Christian Eriksen used to do for example, or Ertzel used to do for Arsenal. And that's what Fernandez does. And you realise that's why the big clubs have, who have to play the vast majority of their games against teams who park the bus, they need that magician to run the door. That's maybe something we don't have. And that's why I think we struggled at times against Newcastle. However, against Chelsea, Chelsea are going to come at us because it's at their place as well. And if anything, that makes me feel more confident about us getting something from the game. It's, How it's do you office. feel? Yeah, it's, it's actually our oh, okay. I'm saying All right, well, still. Well, you know what, right? right. I'm, I'm not okay. that confident, to be honest, Sam. I'm not confident for the Chelsea match. Right. I think it's going to be, a, 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 well, it's probably the game of the season, you could argue. Game of the season is so important. Back-to-back defeats. I know we still have a relatively easy running, but it would just be so damaging for morale and confidence mm. not to lose against Chelsea. And listen, I'll, I'll take a draw right now. Yeah, I'll take a draw right now. In that take match. a draw, yeah. And my own, I, I, I've been very consistent with this. I only feel like the one where we can get into that top four, if 
Chelsea become so sloppy and prioritise other competitions like the Champions League, for example. Mm. Obviously, we know the US, European Super League and all sort of stuff, but I'm just focusing on, on the on the here and now. If yeah. they prioritise that, get complacent, we have a chance. But that game will be so tough, so, so tough. And I think the pressure will get to the players, if in honesty. Really? Yeah, I reckon the pressure. We've seen it recently, weeks the pressure getting to the players, bring 3-0 up and, and forever yeah. just... Making silly mistakes and inviting our team back and them scoring two. It's goals. such a shame. It's moments like this that we could really do with Declan Rice because I think he's such a strong leader and he's got such a positivity about him. I imagine. I mean, you see him up close and personal when you're in a stadium, but you said how vociferous he is on the pitch, and I imagine he's one of those blokes who sort of goes out with the belief that we're going to win in every game, and and that spreads through the team. And it's just a disastrous time to be missing him, isn't it? Well, in the return fixture against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge in December, he was very vociferous in that, on that pitch. My goodness, Sam, I was very close in terms of the way Jesse Raymond, where mm. the players were coming out. All I could hear was Declan Rice. All yeah. I could hear was Declan Rice in that match. Come on, guys, we, we come on, let's do this. We can still win. Mm. Mark Noble was the captain that day, Sam. But yeah. all I could hear was Declan Rice. Yeah, yeah. If, if it was on TV, I'll put it on mute. That's how much I could hear Declan Rice during my match. <laughs> so listen, yeah, no, honestly, that's how much yeah. I could hear him. So yeah, we're definitely going to miss him in terms of leader. But listen, time for other players to step up. It can't yeah. always be Declan Rice. Other players got got to step up and be good leaders for the team on the pitch as well. So we all know he'll be back, well, hopefully back before the end of the season. But until that happens, someone's got to step up and show they can also be the leader on the pitch. Well, it's a time for heroes. Um, a strange time. But I think you're right, Rashane. Let's focus on the here and now. Forget about the Super League. Let's focus on West Ham. We've got six games between us and a Champions League that might not even exist. It'll be classic <laughs> West Ham luck, but let's see how it goes. Uh, mate, should we wrap it up? Yeah. Let's wrap yeah. it up. It's been, it's been a very long one, but I think, you know, the, it's a, the time that, that demands that sort of full and frank and thorough discussion. <laughs> We'd love to hear all your views, of course, to tweet me at Delaney Man or Rashane at Rashane Sport. Um, thanks for listening. Come on, you irons. And remember, ladies and gents, there's only one. Samasiabu! The Athletic.